Good morning and welcome to Current Radio. It's Thursday, January 18th. Today we'll be discussing the expiring deadline to restore the Northern Ireland executive and senior politicians urging Ursula von der Leyen to probe the Serbian election. Plus, families of American hostages are set to meet with the White House National Security Advisor today, and Rishi Sunak has managed to see off conservative rebels as MPs back the Rwanda bill. All this coverage and more, up next. Welcome to Current Radio's Politics Station. Please enjoy today's selection of political news. The deadline for restoring Northern Ireland's power-sharing government is due to expire at midnight. If no executive is formed by then, the Northern Ireland Secretary falls under a legal duty to call an early assembly election. Abby, our correspondent for Current, is here to delve into the details. Abby, what's the latest? Thanks, Michael. The Northern Ireland Secretary, Chris Heaton-Harris, has indicated he will extend the deadline once again. He's done this several times before and has said he intends to bring forward legislation on these matters next week. This is happening against the backdrop of a mass strike involving over 100,000 public sector workers. How is this impacting the situation? Indeed, the strike is adding another layer of complexity to the situation. The workers are protesting over pay and conditions. Heaton-Harris has offered a £3.3 billion financial package for Northern Ireland, including funds to settle these pay claims, but it's contingent on the Stormont institutions being restored. So the power-sharing government collapsed in February 2022 after the Democratic Unionist Party withdrew in protest against post-Brexit trade checks. Can you tell us more about the implications of this? Yes, the DUP believes that the arrangements under the Northern Ireland Protocol diminish the region's place within the UK internal market. A new deal, the Windsor Framework, was agreed in 2023 between the government and the European Union to address these concerns. However, the DUP said this did not go far enough, and they have been in talks with the government seeking further changes. What happens if an executive is not re-established? What's the role of the Secretary of State in this scenario? If an executive is not re-established, the Secretary of State is set to be involved for a second consecutive year in setting Stormont's budget. Last year, he set a budget for Stormont in the absence of local ministers, leaving unelected civil servants with the task of making substantial cuts. Can you tell us more about the potential for a hybrid government, as mentioned by the head of the civil service in Northern Ireland? The head of the civil service has suggested that there could be a hybrid government whereby he will be able to reach in and make decisions that can't be made by permanent secretaries who are currently running Northern Ireland. However, having the power to do that and actually doing it are two very different things. It's certainly a complex situation. Thanks for the insights, Abby. In other news, recent allegations of election fraud in Serbia have caught the attention of senior European foreign affairs politicians who are now calling for an independent investigation into the matter. Abby, our European affairs correspondent, is here to shed more light on this. Abby, what's the story? Michael, this is a significant development. Over 20 senior politicians, including those chairing foreign or European affairs committees in their national parliaments, have written a letter to the EU's top brass. They're urging an independent investigation into the allegations of election fraud in Serbia's December elections. What sparked these allegations, Abby? The allegations arose after Serbia's president, Aleksandar Vucic, claimed victory in the December ballot. This declaration led to widespread protests in Belgrade, 
with tens of thousands of people claiming the election was stolen. The politicians who've signed the letter are from across the EU, as well as from Ukraine, Moldova, and the UK. What could be the potential implications of this investigation if it goes ahead? The signatories have stated that new elections might be required in Serbia, depending on the findings of the investigation. They've also expressed their common goal of seeing Serbia as a member of the European Union within this decade. This comes at a time when Commission President Ursula von der Leyen is preparing plans for an EU with more than 30 members. That's interesting. How does this fit into the broader context of EU enlargement? The EU currently has 27 member countries, but in December it opened accession negotiations with Ukraine and Moldova. Other nations, such as Serbia, Georgia, and some Western Balkan countries are at various stages of the accession process. The allegations of election fraud in Serbia could potentially impact its EU membership prospects. It seems we'll have to wait and see how this investigation unfolds and what it might mean for Serbia's future in the EU. Thanks for the insights, Abby. In a shift of focus, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan is set to meet with the families of Americans believed to be held hostage by Hamas. Abby, our correspondent, is here to provide some context. Abby, what can you tell us about this situation? Michael, this meeting comes at a critical time. It's been over 100 days since the hostages were taken following Hamas's attack on Israel last October. The families of these hostages are understandably anxious, and they're looking to the U.S. government for action. What's the current status of these hostages? How many are still being held? As of now, it's believed that six Americans remain in captivity in Gaza. Four have been released since the start of the conflict. The White House has extended invitations to the families of all six hostages for this meeting. What has been the U.S. government's response so far? The U.S. government has been actively involved in efforts to secure the release of these hostages. President Joe Biden met with the families of the hostages last month, reassuring them of his administration's commitment to bringing their loved ones home. Additionally, Secretary of State Antony Blinken has discussed efforts to secure the release of hostages during talks with top Israeli officials. What's the significance of this meeting with the National Security Advisor? This meeting underscores the urgency of the situation. It's a clear signal that the U.S. government is taking the matter seriously and is actively working towards a resolution. However, it's important to note that these situations are often complex and delicate, requiring careful diplomacy and negotiation. It's certainly a tense situation that we'll continue to monitor closely. Thanks for the insights, Abby. On a different note, UK Chancellor Rishi Sunak has managed to get his controversial Rwanda bill through the House of Commons, despite significant opposition. Abby, our correspondent, is here to discuss the implications of this development. Abby, can you give us some background on this bill? Absolutely, Michael. The bill in question is designed to prevent legal challenges against plans to send asylum seekers to Rwanda. The government argues that this will deter migrants from trying to reach the UK by crossing the channel in small boats. However, it's been met with significant opposition, with Labour labeling it an expensive gimmick. So, there was a potential for a rebellion from within the Conservative Party. What happened there? Indeed, there was a threat of a rebellion from within the Tory ranks, with dozens of MPs expressing concerns about the bill. However, in the end, only 11 voted against it, allowing it to pass by 320 votes to 276. It's worth noting that this bill still has to pass through the House of Lords, where it's expected to face stiff opposition. 
What were the main concerns of those who opposed the bill? The main concern among those who opposed the bill was its potential for legal challenges. Some MPs argued that without amendments, the government's Rwanda plan could be blocked by the courts. Former Immigration Minister Robert Jenrick even tabled an amendment to allow the UK government to ignore parts of human rights law in relation to sending people to Rwanda. This amendment, however, was not approved. And what about the opposition? What was their stance? Labour has been vocally opposed to the bill. Shadow Home Secretary Yvette Cooper called the policy a costly con that has so far failed to send any asylum seekers to Rwanda. Shadow Immigration Minister Stephen Kinnock labeled it unaffordable, unworkable, and unlawful. So despite the controversy, the bill has passed the commons. What happens next? The bill now moves to the House of Lords, where it's expected to face serious opposition. Home Office Minister Chris Philp expressed hope that the bill would pass quickly, with the aim of getting flights to Rwanda running by the spring. However, there's still a long road ahead for this bill. It's certainly a contentious issue. Thanks for the insights, Abby. And with that, we wrap up our stories for today here on Current Radio. Looking forward to having you back with us tomorrow.